Welcome to another episode of Cares on Crime. I'm your host, Beth Karras. Cares on Crime explores criminal justice issues and cases in the news. And as always, I welcome your feedback, your questions and ideas. Feel free to post them on social media. My Twitter handle is at Beth Karras and my Facebook page is my name, Beth Karras. Today, I am delighted to invite a very special guest, a man I met not too long ago. His name is Dan Ribikoff, and he has been examining people for more than two decades to determine whether or not they are telling the truth. That's right. He's a polygraph examiner in the New York area, which is where I am from. And he also appears on television, not just in the United States, but in Europe. So I want to welcome Dan Ribikoff. How are you, Dan? Good. Thank you for having me on your show. So let's first talk about your background a little bit and where your shows are. So how long have you been doing this? I said more than two decades, but how long has it been? So Beth, I've been a uh, private investigator for 27 years, and uh, 24 of them have also included polygraph and credibility assessment uh, services as well. Interesting. And where have you done this work? Sure. So um, I've, uh, I have offices in New York, in Boca Raton, and in Los Angeles, California. And uh, I do work throughout the United States and throughout the world. Um, I'm also uh, the host of uh, a show called The Lie Detective, which is in the UK. I've just finished the uh, season in Holland as well. And uh, it's coming to uh, the States um, very shortly. So we'll be taping that in August. Fascinating. And, and now I met you at IDCon, which was um, uh, a week ago as we are talking, uh, May 20th. Yes, correct. And uh, you administered a, a lie detector test to me, a polygraph, which was the first time ever that I have had one. So I want to talk to you about the mechanics of it. But before we get there, you said that you have this show in the UK and you just did another one in, in the Netherlands. And how how is the show received? And do they use polygraphs abroad? Sure. Oh, yes. Polygraphs are used uh, worldwide. Um, they're used pretty much by every law enforcement agency in the civilized world, uh, military and intelligence, and uh, very, very well received. Uh, polygraph is part of the overall picture of credibility assessment, which includes uh, verbal as well as nonverbal uh, cues from people who are being interviewed and are the subject of investigation. Uh, for the last uh, eight seasons, I've been on the Steve Wilco show, which is uh, produced by NBC and uh, internationally syndicated. We do a lot of uh, crime, uh, molestation, rape, murder, theft uh, on that show. So uh, essentially the same uh, test that the FBI or that, uh, you know, MI5 or MI6 in, uh, in England would do or any other uh, law enforcement agency would do is the same test that uh, I conduct because the standards are the same worldwide for polygraph. So is it fair to say that your training in administering polygraphs is the same as members of law enforcement? Yes, absolutely. We all train together. Um, we all uh, work on uh, the development of uh, new techniques, uh, be it uh, technology or be it uh, actual polygraph question formulation. And uh, we all study together. So it's almost like uh, saying, well, you know, you're a doctor in private practice or you're a doctor in the military. You, know, you still practice the same medicine. And the same thing with uh, law enforcement and private polygraph examiners. Um, I do tests for police departments that don't have full-time examiners. 
I also do tests for departments of probation and parole uh, to monitor sex offenders for the uh, sake of uh, public safety and containing their behavior. So we're, we're, all, we're all one and the same. So while you are a private investigator, you're kind of quasi-public uh, as well because you're, you contract with public agencies, law enforcement. Yes, yeah, correct, exactly. Interesting. Okay, so how does this work? Sure. So uh, polygraphs have, uh, have been around since 1921, um, so almost 100 years. And, of course, uh, probably the most famous uh, forensic tool that law enforcement has is the lie detector. Really, the name is polygraph, meaning many graphs. And uh, the polygraph is a, uh, actually a couple of medical instruments that were put together that test the physiological changes that take place in the human body when you lie versus telling the truth. So for many years, people have said, oh, it's a test based upon fear, and the person that's guilty um, will show fear of detection. Um, but we know that's not true today. Um, although there is some fight or flight built into the test um, because the human body reacts to it, you know, back to the caveman days, fight or flight. Um, we know now from the advent of MRIs that when you lie and when you tell the truth, you use different parts of your brain. And um, when you lie, you actually require more energy for your brain, almost like revving the engine of your car to fabricate horsepower. Your brain requires more energy to fabricate the lie. And that's what we record on the polygraph. So, uh, you know, the polygraph, if you've seen it on TV, you know, we'll ask you, is your first name Beth? Uh, right now, are you in New York City? And uh, then we'll also ask you questions about, did you do it? Did you rob that bank? Did you kill that person? So uh, we record those physio physiological changes that take place in the body. And um, the, the best equivalent is revving the engine in your car, because that's what happens uh, when your brain requires more um, resources to fabricate that lie. So, Beth, if you remember um, frontal lobotomy and uh, truth serum in the old days, right? Um, what, ha what happens is your brain goes either to your memory, where the truth is, right? How do you know your name is Beth and uh, you're an attorney and uh, you work as a prosecutor? Well, it's in your memory. And if I asked you, Beth, did you rob the bank yesterday? Your answer would be, I assume, no. Yes, I hope you didn't rob the bank yesterday. So um, that's where the truth is. The truth is in your memory. When you give me the truth, your brain does not work very hard at all because it's already there. When you want to lie, you have to use the prefrontal cortex as well as other parts of your brain. Basically, that's your forehead area. That's your imagination. So in the old days when people would see, you know, pink elephants flying around the room um, in the, uh, the mental institutions, they would disconnect or remove your frontal lobe and you couldn't imagine or see pink elephants anymore. Um, same thing with truth serum. Uh, so that would be the frontal lobotomy. Truth serum or sodium pentothal would anesthetize that frontal lobe. When you can't imagine, you can't lie. So really the imagination is where the lie is created. And uh, that's what we measure in the polygraph. So the, the mechanical function of the brain. So in order for you to know everything that you just described and what a polygraph measures, then there must be testing behind it that, that determine this, that 
like tests on the brain, uh, MRIs or something that looked at the brain and the parts of the brain that were being stimulated during truth-telling and during lies? Sure. There's uh, the fMRI, now the functioning MRI, and there's been a lot of research uh, being done with fMRI and lying as they do brain mapping. And um, there's actually companies that are in that field now. There's a company called No Lie MRI. Obviously, it's expensive to get an MRI and you need a big machine. So we can see it for, uh, you know, perhaps government type of uh, operations, maybe you know, the green zone in Iraq. You know, you have an MRI and you would bring in somebody who says, you know, I have intelligence about where they uh where Al-Qaeda or the Taliban are, and you would say, well, how do I know they're not going to ambush, uh, you know, American troops? Come here, let me stick your head in this MRI and ask you some questions. You know, are you looking to uh, to kill American troops? Uh, you know, do you really know where the Taliban are? And uh, there would be uh, the practical application for the MRI. Um, in the field, the polygraph instrument is the, is the gold standard because there's been uh, a lot of research done uh, not only by uh, private universities like the University of Utah did a study, um, but also by the military um, in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. There's the uh, NCAA, which is formerly known as the U.S. Uh, Department of Defense Polygraph Institute. Now it's the National uh, Credibility Assessment Academy, and they teach all the federal examiners uh, military as well as FBI, CIA, Department of Defense, uh, all the all the federal examiners go to uh, NCAA for their polygraph testing. So they've done extensive research as well. So uh, the polygraph uh, accuracy um, is known by studies uh, that have been conducted all over the world on the various test techniques. Has the basic test remained the same in the past nearly 100 years, or has it gotten more sophisticated in terms of like how, how you administer it and what you attach to the body? Because you're putting these things on my chest and, you know, like wrapped around me, and then I guess it was my finger or something. Like, what are you doing? Sure. So uh, basically we're measuring physio- physio- uh, physiological changes, and uh, those are sensors that we uh, attach to you. Um, the polygraph measures electrodermal activity, which is sweat gland reaction. It measures uh, breathing or respiration rate, and it measures cardio activity. So um, all of those are affected uh, when a person uh, lies versus uh, telling the truth. So we measure those changes and record them on the polygrams, and uh, those are analyzed. So a polygraph score is actually a mathematical calculation. Um, we do measurements and uh, we plug them into formulas. And there's also uh, computer algorithms now that are utilized as well to analyze the polygram. So it's really not, uh, you know, yeah, I think she lied and I think she told the truth. So they're based upon mathematical calculations for uh, deception or no deception. And there's uh, cut scores uh, for various tests. So the polygraph test actually uh, consists of different formats. There's different tests that are used uh, to test different things. So, for example, um, you want to become a uh, police officer, a New York State trooper. So you have no criminal past. You pass the test. You meet all the requirements. But how do we know that you're not the Gilgo Beach serial killer and you just haven't been caught? So we use a screening test where we're going to ask you questions about um, drug use, about uh, child pornography, 
about serious undetected crimes. And um, I spoke about this at IDCon. Um, there was recently a case a couple of years ago where a uh, gentleman wanted to be an Ohio State trooper, and he went for the screening test uh, for the polygraph because he met all the requirements, and he kept having a, a significant reaction on the question involving chi- uh, child pornography. So the uh, examiner asked him, hey, you know, what's the story with your uh, question here involving child porn? And he said, well, you know, I, I downloaded it by mistake, you know, looking at regular porn. Well, if you know anything about child porn, it's on the dark side of the web and you can't do that. And uh, the crime is possessing child porn. So he just admitted that he possessed child porn. The uh, trooper got a uh, search warrant. They went and searched his house and he was actually molesting children and making videos himself. Oh. But, um, yeah, but in New York City, he would have gotten a gun and a badge. And in many cities as well, they don't polygraph. So it's an excellent screening tool, and of wow. course, uh, for, for military clearances, you know, top secret clearance, things along those lines. Um, you have to take polygraph exams to make sure that uh, you're not a, a foreign agent uh, in the military. So that's, that's one type of test. But isn't it possible that some people just don't have the same physiological reactions so that you might get, uh, you know, a false reading? Well, everybody has the same mechanics in their brain. Of course, there's people with um, mental diseases, people with uh, you know, physical uh, you know, diseases as well. There's medications that can affect it. So as a polygraph examiner, we conduct an initial test, which is basically what I did on Tony at IDCon. I conducted a SIM test to make sure that his brain works properly and that we can detect truth versus lie. And then we conduct the polygraph test. So, yeah, it's true that, uh, that there is a small percentage of the world's population that is untestable with the polygraph. And Tony is Tony Harris. Yes, correct. Tony Harris. I decon, right. So uh, th- that's about 1% of the world's population is untestable. Can there be differences in how test results are interpreted depending upon who the examiner is and how the, not necessarily the examiner, but how the questions are framed by the examiner. Yes, correct. So um, the most important part of the polygraph test, you know, just like an airplane is, is the, uh, the examiner versus, you know, the pilot. You can have a great pilot that uh, won't crash an aircraft and you can have a lousy pilot that will crash it. So the same thing with the polygraph test is question formulation Examine preparation are the two uh, foundations and fundamental um, areas of a polygraph that will determine the accuracy. So someone who's trained, who's experienced, who continues their education um, will administer a good polygraph test. There's some examiners out there that went to school in 1980 and have never been back, and they're still using the old techniques. You know, the same thing as going to a doctor, and uh, you know, he's doing something from 1980 versus something from 2017. Um, so continuing education is very important as uh, not only technology changes, but question formulation techniques change. Um, we know that the polygraph works best with very simple, did-you-do-it questions. So uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, but I had an attorney say to me, um, I have a client sitting uh, in one of the local jails who's accused of going to a nightclub, and I'll just use some fake names here, 
uh, went to a nightclub with Susie in a very bad neighborhood. Uh, was accused of having a gun and shooting this guy, John, who was a rival gang member fighting with some other uh, friends of his uh, in the head, throwing the gun in the sewer and running away to North Carolina. Now they apprehend him. They bring him back to the county jail and he's not going anywhere. He states, I did not shoot the guy, but I know who did, but I'm not, uh, not going to be a snitch. Great. No problem. You didn't shoot him. Excellent. So the attorney says, I want you to ask him these questions. Did you go to the club with Susie? Did you have a gun? Did you shoot John? And uh, did you throw the gun in the sewer? And I said, uh, sounds like a great test, right? That's the lawyer telling you that's what he wanted. Is that allowed? Exactly. Yeah, the lawyer can say, you know, this is the areas I want to be able to prove. This is the defense attorney, and I'm working for the defense now. Okay. So I said, uh, no, I'm not asking him those questions. He goes, what do you mean? I said, first of all, I don't care if he went to the club with Susie. All right, that's one issue. The second issue is, did you have a gun? Well, if you didn't have a gun, how the hell did you shoot the guy, right? So I said, I'm not asking him that. And I'm not asking him, did you throw the gun in the sewer? Because what's that? Maybe littering or, uh, you know, environmental uh, pollution things? Mm -hmm. I said, this is one question I'm asking him. Did you shoot Sean in the head? So that's a single-issue test. The single-issue test is the most accurate polygraph test. We have accuracy of 99.4% with a single-issue test. But but what does that mean, single-issue? Only one question? Well, one issue. So it would be... Did you shoot John in the head that night? Was it you who shot John in the head? Regarding John, did you shoot him in the head? So it's one question worded a couple of different ways. And what we're doing is we're testing it and testing it and testing it within that uh, polygraph exam. And we also administer the test usually uh, anywhere from two to four times. So your mind is not multitasking. Did you do this? Did you have that? Did you go here? Did you go there? And what we're doing is we're actually just hitting the nail on the head every time. So when you keep it simple, the old principle, kiss, keep it simple, stupid, the polygraph works miracles because it's a wonderful instrument that can clear up any case in a matter of hours versus weeks or months in uh, in a trial. So in this single issue test, basically it's the one issue and you're just phrasing the question different ways, but you're focused on one issue. You're not testing him with obvious yes, no questions like, are you, uh, I don't know, I assume you're testing a male. Are you a female? And he says, no, that's an obvious question, obvious right answer. You, you don't do those tests, right? Well, no, we do. Okay. We include what's known as, um, you know, uh, questions to establish truth baselines, correct? Okay. So we would ask you, you know, is your first name Beth? Uh, you know, or right now, are you in New York City? Is this the year 2017? But the questions involving the crime aren't, um, did you get in your car? Did you go to the bank? Did you have a gun? Did you rob the bank? If, I did see. you rob the bank? I see. Because the other issues are other outside issues. And all you're going to do is confuse the brain. So we know now from uh, you know, the series of, uh, of studies that we've done that the single-issue test is the most important for child molestation. Um, you know, uh, did you go into uh, Susie's bedroom? Uh, did you, uh, you know, pull down her pajamas? Uh, did you touch her? Right? We don't ask all that. We just ask, you know, did you touch her private area? So, so when you keep it simple, the polygraph is extremely accurate because we're not scrambling the brain, we're not multitasking, 
um, and we're asking basic questions of, did you do it? Were you the person that did this? It's time for a break. You're listening to Karis on Crime. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to Karis on Crime. I'm your host, Beth Karis. I'm speaking with Dan Ribicoff, a polygraph examiner for more than two decades, about his work, how the tests are administered, and how effective they are. So why aren't polygraphs admissible in court if they're so accurate and such a great investigative tool? Sure. So polygraphs are admissible in 20 states. They're admissible in various federal circuits, and they're also uh, admissible in immigration court. So that's really a, a misconception that polygraphs are not admissible in court. Um, the main reason that they're not used at trial as much as people would expect them to be is that your constitutional right is a, tri- a right to have a trial by a jury of your peers. And that polygraph is not your peer. You didn't go to high school or elementary school with it. It's, it's an instrument. So it would become trial by instrumentation. And uh, Clarence Thomas, the United States Supreme Court Justice, says the jury is the lie detector. You come in, they go, "Ah, you don't look like a murderer, you don't sound like a murderer, and there's no DNA like there is on uh, CSI Miami. Ah, you're not a murderer. So um, if we say, you know, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Beth failed a polygraph for killing Johnny, they feel that it affects the jury's ability to, quote, be the lie detector and uh, would usurp their power. So that's the primary reason that the polygraphs are not used at trial as much as we would like them to be. But uh, the accuracy is actually more accurate than a jury trial, because uh, if you do research, what's the best accuracy of a jury trial? 75% is best. See, now, it's 75% accuracy for juries. Yeah, you had mentioned that to me when we met at IDCon, and I've been thinking about that ever since. And you say that, that at least the single, the single question uh, test is 99% accurate? Yeah, the single-issue polygraph is, is, is 99.4%. So you're looking at much more accurate, uh, you know, for me to plug into your brain than it is for, uh, you know, Johnny Cochran and everybody else to give the dog and pony show of if it doesn't fit, it must acquit because, you know, there's going to be controversy on both sides. You know, you're, uh, you're an experienced trial attorney as a prosecutor and uh, you, you know how it goes. It's all, you know, who can bamboozle the jury with, uh, with information. Uh, so here you're looking at something that is extremely accurate, has... Um, you know, no bias in it because the charts have no bias. And if they're conducted by a proper polygraph, uh, you know, examiner who is qualified, uh, has the credentials, has the training, and peer-reviewed by other examiners, you're looking at something that is uh, is far superior to the jury system. Okay, so I have a couple of couple of thoughts and questions about that. First of all, I mean, how does that? Where do you get the seventy-five percent? I'm just wondering where, like. Juries will differ in how they interpret what is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And I don't know how we measure if they're wrong unless and until we find it's a wrongful conviction and find out who the real person was. Right. So that's, I I don't have the actual source on, you know, sorry, I can't 
quote it, but uh, you know, during my years of research, um, one of my research areas was to look up and say, you know, hey, what's what's the accuracy of a jury trial? And I came across that number, so you know, I can look it up again and try to find it, but uh, I, I don't have the actual footnotes to quote it. But you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, jurors are told, yes. you know, a definition of reasonable doubt. But one, say a person is tried twice, and this happens sometimes. You get a, you know, you get a do-over. You get convicted. Your case gets reversed on appeal. You get a new trial. Sure. You, you know, you're convicted the first time. You're acquitted the second. Two different juries hear the same evidence, basically, and they right. both, you know, they come to different conclusions. Which one was right, you know? Right, right. Yep. So, yeah, I, I don't have the, uh, the actual study to cite. But, uh, you know, in my years of, uh, of doing this, I had looked it up and came across that number. And uh, that seemed to be a, uh, a number that seemed proper when I did the research. But once again, I have to go back. No, and, try and that's to fine. Right. I don't doubt what yeah. you're I don't doubt what you're saying. Yeah. I'm just questioning the, right. the idea that and I just don't know how you measure that jurors are wrong unless you find out it was a wrongful conviction. But right. that brings you to my second point, which is that. Anybody accused of a crime, if they want to take a polygraph, then they should be given one. If they want to take one, I mean, and, and if it's and if it's possible, you know, then they should. If it's such a great investigative tool, uh, and I know of um, some cases where defendants claim they are innocent and they're incarcerated for a number of years, one for life. One in particular, I'm thinking of who said he wanted to take a, a polygraph. And he wasn't given one, and now he's he's fighting to get his conviction right. overturned. Right. I, I get a lot of that where people will come to me um, and say, you know, I ask them, I beg them for one, they wouldn't give me one, and um, you know, I, I don't know the reason behind that, but uh, I, I hear that a lot, and I go to prisons to work on wrongful convictions for, you know, in New York, it's, uh, you know, it's a 440 motion or a motion to vacate the conviction. And um, that is admissible in New York State. Uh, the polygraph is admissible as part of that motion, as well as in pretrial motions to dismiss in the interest of justice. So uh, the polygraph in New York State has admissibility to the court, but not at trial. And there is case law that I can uh, even send you if you uh, if you want it uh, best on uh, court decisions, not only at the federal level but at New York State level. Um, you know, uh, praising the polygraph and its accuracy. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a common thing that's used in exonerations, but I think it should be a common thing that's utilized in prosecution. Um, a lot of times, uh, I'll do 18B work, which here in New York is um, you know, almost like the equivalent of legal aid, and uh, it's paid for by the county. Right, it's appointed uh, counsel, the, right, for indigents. Yeah, right, gotcha. You, you have a better uh, understanding of that, uh, that statute than I do, obviously, being an attorney. So, uh, yes, I'll, I'll do polygraphs um, for uh, indigent people uh, paid for by, uh, by the county. and uh, It's used a lot in negotiations with the district attorneys, and I've had many people uh, have their charges dropped, uh, you know, dismissed completely uh, on the basis of the polygraph exams that I've done. Um, you know, look, if you're in uh, in a Dunkin' Donuts, you rob it, they have you on tape, and uh, you know, you've got your fingerprints at the crime scene. You're not getting a polygraph test. But uh, I've had cases where people have been picked out of, uh, you know, photo arrays, and uh, evidence has shown that they haven't been, uh, you know, anywhere near that 
area through cell phone triangulation, uh, witnesses who say, no, yeah, this guy was at work, he was 50 miles away. And then we give them a polygraph and boom, they drop the charges. So uh, I've had people brought into uh, district attorney's offices in shackles from Rikers Island, and I've administered polygraph tests to them and had their, uh, their cases dismissed a few days later. So it's, a, it's an excellent investigative tool. If you recall, those cases that were um, dismissed by the DA, and you know, kudos to them for doing that, if um, indeed you know, they had the wrong person incarcerated, but are you um, showing truthfulness, like no question? It's not like there's, eh, you can't really tell, some deception, maybe it's maybe truthful. Are you absolutely certain there's truthfulness? Oh, sure. Yeah, because uh, in the polygraph cut scores, um, so let's talk about the uh, the single-issue test, right? So if I do the single-issue test, we have cut scores of plus six or higher um, for no deception indicated, meaning the person is truthful, and minus six or lower for a person being deceptive or deception indicated. So now if you look at the inconclusive, the inconclusive means I can't tell you is being honest or truthful. You have from zero to minus five, from zero to plus five. So you have 11 numbers between pass or fail in the scoring. So that's a huge gap that is built into the polygraph. So it's almost like a recording studio needle, Beth, where, you know, we would have to get it pinned to the left for truth and to the right for, um, for deception. And anything in between is inconclusive. So when you pass a polygraph, you pass it. When you fail it, you fail it. So there's really no, ah, he just passed, ah, he just failed, because we have a huge gap for inconclusive. And, uh, you know, these, pe- these people say, you know, I'll come in and I'll say, look, this guy's a plus 16. He needs to be a plus six. You know, <laughs> there's no doubt. But really, when you're plus six or higher, you've passed anyway. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a very good question, because a lot of people don't understand the inconclusive and how that's built in as a, uh, a safeguard against wrongfully calling a person a liar or uh, a truth teller. So how much are you looking at the person and other behavior, gestures, I don't know, sure. shifty eyes, any of that factor into your yep. decisions, or is it strictly physiological, whatever the machine is measuring? Gotcha. So there is um, two approaches to polygraph. One is called the global approach. The global approach are the case facts. Um, as well as other credibility assessment tests that we utilize before the polygraph, um, as well as uh, verbal cues, nonverbal cues, and then the polygraph charts. I like using that because I will include in my report um, the various credibility tests that I've done, and a lot of them are that you don't know that I'm, I'm doing them to you, but uh, it's all part of the pre-polygraph. Um, testing as well as the charts and some examiners just go strictly with the chart. So uh, I'll, I'll give you some examples of how people leak deception. Beth, I think your uh, listeners will find it very interesting. Let's talk about um, New York City and a few years back with stop and frisk, right? Very controversial um, stop and frisk. Well, it really wasn't stop and frisk. It's a stop question and frisk. But the media leaves out the, the question part because the question part is how they would uh, get around the, you know, illegal search and seizure from the, uh, from the Constitution. So uh, I stop you and I say, gee, you know, here's this lady in this uh, drug-infested area and she just doesn't fit in, right? So I go, excuse me, Mr. what are you doing in this area? Well, I'm going to go visit my grandmother. 
Yeah, it's your grandmother's name, Sally Brown. Where did she live? 123 Main Street, apartment four. Hmm. Okay, what, uh, what's going on with grandma? Well, she's sick. I'm bringing her some medicine. Uh, here's a bag from CVS. Great, go ahead. Uh, now watch the difference. Uh, ma'am, what are you doing in this neighborhood? Uh, what, what am I doing in this neighborhood? I'm, um, I'm going to visit my grandma. Um, what's your grandmother's name? What's my grandmother's name? Um, uh, uh, Sally, Sally Brown. So now you have latency, you have hesitancy. Um, all of those are signs of deception, you know, repeating the question. What's your grandmother's name? What's your grandmother's name? You know what your grandmother's name is, okay? So uh, that was the basis for stop, question, and frisk. And it happens in the polygraph or in any interview conducted forensically. Um, I ask people, uh, you know, this interview and polygraph test is about whether I shot Johnny or not, okay? This polygraph and interview is about, uh, I, I, I don't know, uh, people are saying that I did bad things avoiding the issue. People that are involved in a crime don't want to say it. So I start scoring you and assessing your credibility from the second you come into my polygraph suite until the time that you leave. And everything you do, everything that you say, I assess, because that becomes part of the global approach and enhances the accuracy of the polygraph testing, because now we're including other forms of credibility assessment around it. So we're actually doing several tests versus just one. So let's eliminate the polygraph and just just the, the visual, you know, feet crossed, right. legs crossed, shifty eyes, hands tapping, whatever. I mean, there are people, I know a, a woman, Jeannie Driver, who calls herself the human lie detector, and she used to work for ATF, I think, um, not anymore, and she speaks about this, and she, she teaches yeah. people and companies how to sort of ferret out liars, or at least it's a screening to right. try to determine right. de- deception. I mean, I can't imagine that's as accurate as the machine. Well, it's, it's not because um, there's cultural differences. So, uh, for example, I went to, uh, to interview this uh, young fellow who was of, you know, African... Um, descent and he was a recent immigrant and a very, very polite kid. I'm, uh, I'm doing a polygraph and an interview for him to work for a security company. And he says to me, you know, please excuse me, but, you know, don't think that I'm lying to you. But in my country, um, we're taught not to look, you know, an elder or somebody who's, uh, you know, superior to us directly in their eyes. So some people would say, you know, why does this guy look at me in the eye when he's answering the question? And a lot of times in, you know, Hispanic culture, uh, women are taught that as well. So, you know, they'll look at the ground when they talk to you. So if you're not familiar with those differences, that can be, um, you know, an issue when you're assessing somebody's credibility. So you have to look at it from the global approach as well as the polygraph test, because that adds a lot of, let me plug into your brain to see what part of your brain you're using. Um, as well as looking at the uh, spoken word, uh, verbal cues, uh, cues of people's behavior. Uh, sometimes they're self-soothing. You're interviewing someone and they're rubbing their arm, almost like you know their mom is rubbing their arm. Uh, they're licking their lips. But that can be anxiety. That can be uh, a person having uh, you know a, a bad day or not uh, you know feeling comfortable by being interviewed. So uh, that can be deceptive in itself. So it's not as reliable 
as the polygraph or the combination of everything. So if I go, you know, look, he passed this, 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 and the polygraph, great. Now I've got your passing for credibility assessment test. So let me ask you about back to the polygraph. You have to strap some things on the person and put something on their finger. So is it fair to say that anyone who undergoes a polygraph knows they're taking a polygraph? Absolutely, yeah. You're, you're, you're going to tell them there's no surprise. They have to agree to it. You know, this is not the Russia. We can't force you to take a polygraph, strap you into a chair and hold you against your will. And uh, we explain the polygraph process as examiners to the examinee, how it works, why it works, what kind of questions they're going to be asked. And the questions are reviewed with them to make sure that they understand the questions and that the questions are accurate and that the questions are fair. Can a person train themselves to be truthful when they're actually not telling the truth? I know you said there's about 1% of the population that is, cannot take a polygraph, but that 99, anyone in that 99%, uh, can they train well, themselves to appear truthful when they're not? You cannot beat the polygraph test. You can only beat the examiner. And what do I mean by that? Okay, so your tracings are going to be your tracings. And on the Internet, there's, you know, the first thing you Google is polygraph. It says how to beat a polygraph. Do this, do that. Uh, squeeze your butt cheek, bite your tongue, uh, alter your breathing, uh, you know, press your toes down against the floor, stick a thumbtack in your uh, in your shoe and press against it. So what happens is you will alter your physiological tracing. A skilled examiner will see that what you're doing is not natural and will notice it as a countermeasure. An unskilled examiner will not. So it's hard to train yourself to alter your physiology to beat the polygraph examiner. But if you get an examiner that's not very skilled, you're, you're going to be able to do it. So that's why you've got to go to a qualified, trained, and uh, an examiner who has uh, continuing education to look out for countermeasures. That's fascinating. I like that you can beat, you can't beat the polygraph, but you can beat the polygraph examiner. Correct. If you look at Aldridge Ames, who's a famous uh, you know, fellow in, uh, in history, um, he was an operative trained by the government to deceive. So what did he do? He deceived the polygraph examiner and... Um, I was going to ask you about spies, Aldridge Ames. Yeah, so they, are, they, they can train themselves. Well... What Aldridge Ames did was Aldridge Ames didn't beat the polygraph. He beat the examiner. He charmed the hell out of the examiner. who said, wow, you know, this guy's a federal agent like me. And he was telling him stories about the field and blah, 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 blah. And the examiner ignored his charge. And you have to trust your charts as a polygraph examiner. You know, he saw a reaction. He says, nah, this guy's one of us. He's a good guy. After he passes him. And there was no quality control in those days. So in polygraph school, they'll give you Alder James's charts and you score them and you go, oh, this guy's deceptive. But he bamboozled the examiner and basically almost, uh, you know, like a, like a pretty girl wooing the, uh, you know, the guy, you know, oh, he used right. the charm and, and, and charmed, uh, charmed his way out of it. 
And the same examiner polygraphed him uh, over and over again. But meanwhile, if he would have showed it to another examiner, he would have gone, what are you talking about? This guy's producing deceptive charts. So um, that's why a lot of examiners, I do it, and uh, you know, most examiners do today also, they quality control their charts. They will actually give them to other examiners and say, here, blind score these for me. You don't see the examiner, uh, the examinee, I'm sorry. Um, all you see is the charts, and uh, I don't tell you I think he passed, I think he failed, and I give you the charts and you score them. So quality control is very important today. Fascinating. Well, this has been really educational. I really appreciate your time. Dan Ribikoff, polygraph examiner, owner of your company is called International In Investigative Group. You also appear on the Steve Wil Wilco's show, uh, and you have been since 2009, and you have a show in Europe that is coming to the United States on what network? Um, through the Lifetime. It's called The Lie Detective, and uh, look forward to uh, to entertaining. It's a little more of an entertainment type of show, uh, relationship-based, and uh, certainly it combines uh, science with uh, you know, trying to help couples out and get answers to their uh, important questions. So uh, a little more lighthearted than uh, what we do on Steve Wilco. I'll be sure to tune in. When's it coming to Lifetime? Um, we're going to be taping it in August, so uh, I don't know the actual air date yet, but I'll uh, certainly shoot you an email let you know. It, uh, it'll probably be, uh, you know, towards the, the mid-season, maybe uh, in December, I would assume, after editing. And, and right now we're talking in May 2017, so later this year. Well, great. Thanks again, Dan Ribikoff, for joining me. And, and thanks to all of you for listening to this latest episode of Karis on Crime. As always, I welcome your feedback, your questions and ideas. Post them on social media. My Twitter handle is at Beth Karras, and my Facebook page is my name, Beth Karras. Till the next time, be well. <laughs>